So tonight, what I want to do is I want to read 15 chapters, all right? That's what I want to do, 15 chapters. Now, nobody shouted on that. <laughs> and uh, I would not, I, I, would, I, I wouldn't recommend this in homiletics class. And I won't read all 15, I won't read all the 15 chapters, but we're going to look at 15 chapters. I want to show you something in your Bible about the book of Psalms. And I'm going to give you a little idea of how part of the Psalms are laid out. And I hope it will be a blessing to you uh, to see something. I'm really wanting to get to chapter 134. And that's where I'm headed. Well, the book of Psalms is, is Israel's hymnal. That's their songbook. God loves to hear his people sing. And that's why the biggest book, the longest book in the Bible is their songbook. There's 150 individual psalms, ranging anywhere from two verses to 176 verses. We believe that the very earliest psalm was one that was written by Moses. That's Psalm number 90. Some of the psalms were written post-exile after the return from the Babylonian captivity. And with that time frame, that means they span about a thousand years of them being written. At least 73 are written by David, 51 of them we don't know who wrote it. There is no uh, a name that is ascribed to it. When you go through our hymnal, you might notice that a lot of our hymns are laid out somewhat by subject matter. For example, all of the Christmas hymns are all together. There might be a section on songs about heaven. It's, it's a loose structure, but there is some kind of organization to it. Well, the Psalms, the Psalms, are not just a random collection of psalms that were collected. There, there is classifications. There are groups. There are messianic psalms. There are imprecatory psalms. There are penitent psalms. There are doxology psalms written by different men. David, Moses, Hezekiah, Asaph, different men. Solomon wrote some. Span, like I said, over a thousand years. And, and the final collection of psalms, as we have it, probably didn't come about until after the exile. But I want to show you something. If you would look at Psalm number 120, and if you have an inscription, if you have an inscription, either part as the text of verse 1 or above it, it's going to say a song of degrees. Do you see that? Nod your head with me. All right. Song of degrees. Look at verse chapter 21. A song of degrees. 122, a song of of degrees of David. 123, a song of degrees. Look at number 134, Psalm 134, a song of degrees. There are 15 psalms, and all 15 of them have the same inscription. They are a song of degrees. In those 15 psalms, four of them are written by David, one by Solomon, 10 are anonymous. The longest one is 18 verses. There are three of them that are only three Verses long. Now there's quite a few views as to why they are collected that way and what exactly are a song of degrees. One of the views is that the Levites would sing these psalms as they ascended the 15 steps in the temple. Sometimes they are called the songs of ascent. Ascending, I prefer to stick with the word that is in the King James Bible. The song of degrees. There were 15 steps between the women's court and the court of the Jews. So maybe they sang a psalm for each 
death. That's what some people believe. Personally, I think it's a little bit far-fetched. I, 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 don't, I don't ascribe to that particular view. Another idea is that these 15 were put together and that they were designed to sing raising the chord or raising the key for each psalm. We just did that with that psalm. We, we raised the key from a C to a D for those two verses. And so some say, well, that's the ascent. That's the degrees that is meant. So, so you would sing 120 and then you would raise the key and sing 121. You would raise the key and sing 122. Here is the problem. 15 psalms, that's two octaves is what that is. So by the time you get to number 134, you need to be a really good soprano to be able to sing it. I, 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 I don't think that's what's intended. One of the more interesting views um, came from, from John Phillips, one of the commentators that I read after, especially in the Psalms. And John Phillips made the point that the word degrees, degrees plural in your Bible, shows up only in the context of King Hezekiah. You may remember that Hezekiah prayed at God turned the sun back 10 degrees, promised him 15 years on, added onto his life. And so in recognition of that miracle and that promise, Hezekiah wrote 10, got four from David, one from Solomon to make 15. In commemoration of the 15 years God had promised him, and so then Philip then takes each psalm, if you read his commentary, and he sets it in the context of King Hezekiah. That's intriguing. I'm not sure exactly that's what is meant by song of degrees. There is a view that I, that I favor. I, I think that this makes the most sense to me. Is that these 15 psalms were sung by the pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem sat on an elevated plain that was about 2,500 feet above sea level. And so any time that you went to Jerusalem, you went up to Jerusalem. You may remember there were three annual feasts that every Jew was required to attend. And so as they would go, as they would go in traveling parties, they would sing these psalms as the view goes, as they made their trek toward Jerusalem. I don't find anywhere in scripture where they are told to do this. So if they did, then it is a tradition that, that they took on. I would kind of liken it to the family piling into the station wagon or the suburban headed to grandma's for Christmas. And the kids are excited. They are excited to see grandma. They are excited for the presents. And so they begin singing Christmas carols that you would not normally sing at any other time of the year. Well, that might be how that it was. Every Jewish male required to go to Jerusalem three times a year. And so from all over Israel and even outside of Israel, they would, they would have traveling parties organized. Maybe everybody from one village would get together. When are you leaving? When are you leaving? And they would make plans and they would all travel together in one group. It would be much safer to travel in, in a large group. And so you would have caravans of people from all over Israel all pointed in the same direction. And somehow, either organized or spontaneously, somebody would break out singing Psalm 120. And you could hear the voices drifting from the wagons and what have you. And then they would sing Psalm 121. And these 15 psalms, sung by pilgrims as they are making their journey toward Jerusalem. I, I think that makes sense to me, to be honest with you. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to look at how these psalms are arranged, all right? 
And we're just going to do a Bible study, and then we'll end at verse chapter uh, number 134. And it will be a wonderful study to come back and to study each one of these psalms individually. I, I don't know that we're going to do that. So if we don't come back to them individually, at least you're going to see how they are arranged, how they are themed together, so that when you read Song of Degrees, and you read these 15 psalms, and you can read all 15 of them in less than an hour, probably 30 minutes, you have an understanding of what's taking place here. 15 psalms, they are arranged in five triplets or five triads of three psalms each. For example, Psalm number 120 describes a problem that the psalmist is facing. You could write down problem. We'll read it here in just a minute. Psalm 121 describes the protection or the help from God that he has received. Psalm 122 describes the peace that the providence and the protection of God brings to your soul. So you have, you have problem, 120, you have protection, 121, you have peace, 122. Or the outline that I will use tonight, you have trouble, you have trust, and you have triumph. There's your first triad. So then, when you come to number 123, we're starting the second triplet. And in number 123, he's describing a problem. In number 124, or trouble, in number 124, there is trust. In number 125, there is triumph. Now you do that, and you do that five times. Five times you go through that progression. You, you have problem, you have protection, you have priest, or you have trouble, you have trust, and you have triumph. Now, there would be, there would be um, two reasons why these psalms are laid out like that. The first reason would be, to aid in memorizing, memorizing them. They memorized them and they would sing them, all right? I, I've been working the last year or two on trying to memorize Scripture more. That's always been a weak spot for me. And we memorized, um, uh, I think we memorized four books. We're going back through them and requoting them and, and, and re so, so that we don't lose them. And the way that you memorize is you memorize by repetition, saying it over and over and over and over. The way that I do it is, 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 is I have a chapter like 1 Peter 1. Uh, I have that memorized. So, so when I review, I, I would go verse 1. Then I would quote verse 1 and 2. Then I would back up and I'd go verse 1, 2, 3. And I'd go 1, 2, 3, 4. And I'd go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Just repetition. Or you could just go 1, 10 times and 2, 10 times. But, but repetition. So, 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 so you have these truths and by the time that you have sung it five times, you're starting to get it. You, you just memorized the song just a minute ago, all right? And maybe we'll sing it at the end of the verse, at, at service, and, and you will know it. So, so it helps to memorize these songs like we have memorized our hymns. But then the second reason for, for laying it out like this is for emphasis. Because when you go through these psalms, it, it, it drives these truths deep into our hearts. Five times they would be reminded. That no matter of the trouble that they faced in life, they could trust God and he would see them through and they would triumph and be, and be overcomers on the other end. And the Bible says so much about meditating on scripture. It's one of the most powerful ways that we have is to meditate on these truths. And so it's five times, it's five times, it's three times, three times, over and over and over. Now look if you would at Psalm number 120. 
Psalm 120, you could put beside this trouble. Look at it. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What should be given unto thee, or what should be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp errors of the mighty, which with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, and that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So you can clearly see that the psalmist is bothered. And he's bothered particularly by someone who is lying against him, somebody who is slandering him. He wants peace, they want war. That's verse number seven. I've known people like that, that I just wanted to be at peace, but they just wanted to be cantankerous. They wanted to lie. They wanted to spread false gossip. And so, so he has to defend himself against some critic that is slandering him, that is lying against him. I want peace, they want war. He's got trouble. So what do you do in trouble? What do you do? He trusts the Lord. So chapter 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. The antagonist, the antagonist is out there and he's lying against me and he's criticized and it's not true what he said, but the Lord is on my side. Can you feel that? You can feel the surging, the up and the down and the sweetness in his soul. Boy, 120, 120 is so difficult, but don't stay in 120. Get to number 121. There is renewed confidence. Take heart, take heart that in your troubles, the Lord will guard you in your going out and your coming in. And when you know that, when you trust the Lord, it gives you some peace. It helps you to overcome this triumph. So look at what, number 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. There are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of God. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls, prosperity within thy palace. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say peace be within thee, because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Do you see the peace? Do you see the joy that comes from having confidence in God? The pilgrims are on their way to worship God, but the antagonists and the false witnesses are against him, but he doesn't dwell on them. He turns his eyes toward the Lord and he looks to him for his deliverance. And knowing that the Lord will guard him on his journey by faith, he praises the Lord. His expectation is the joy that comes when I can praise the Lord in the midst of trouble. Trouble, trust, triumph. Well, verse number 123, it's going to start the triad all over again. So 123, what would you find? Trouble. Look at it. Unto thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look into the hand of their masters, and they as the eyes of a maiden into the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Watch verse 3. 
Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we, exceed, we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those that are eased and with the contempt of the proud. That antagonist that was lying in number 120, now in number 123, he has turned to cruelty and scorn. But the psalmist says, the Lord is on my side. There's scorn and there is contempt. And here's the thing about it. No matter how you choose to live your life, there's somebody that's going to ridicule it. There's somebody that's going to criticize you. Somebody who used to be your friend is not your friend anymore. People have a way of being abusive and scornful and revengeful and derisive and cruel. And that's what he's experiencing. And it weighs on us, doesn't it? I can't bear this anymore. Lord, Lord, just have, just have mercy on me. I, I long for peace, but, but all of this ridicule has created anxiety, trouble. So what do you do when trouble comes? We trust the Lord. So look at number 124. If it had not been for the Lord, who was on our side. Now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled again. This is what would have happened. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The streams had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. We are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. They laid a trap for us. Like trying to trap a bird in a snare. And if the Lord hadn't been there, we'd have been in some deep trouble. Had the Lord not been on my side, they laid a trap for me. Tried to trap me like a bird, but the Lord got me out. You can speak what you want against me, but I have the one, he says, the one who made heaven and earth. The creator is my defender. That's good trust, isn't it? When you can trust the Lord in trouble like that, you know what it's going to produce in your heart? Triumph. Victory. Overcoming. So look at number 125. They that trust in the Lord should be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, to them that are upright in the highs. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace, peace shall be upon Israel. Can you sense that he has peace, that everything will be all right? And you begin to feel like that that's really ought to be the process of life that you and I ought to live. We ought to be able to take a step back from the hardship, whatever it is, and say, the Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side and I can be at peace in the midst of trouble. However it turns out, I know that the Lord is on my side. The trouble is not the end of the story. So I'm not going to spend all of my energy focused on just the trouble. And there's some people that never get out of the first psalm of the triad. They never see beyond the trouble. 
Well, these Psalms are teaching us that no matter what the trouble is, you can trust the Lord. It's in his hands and you can have peace. You can have triumph. You can have victory no matter what's happening. So Psalm 126. Psalm 126 starts it all over. Trouble. Look at it. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Now this is a post-exilic psalm that looks back at the Babylonian captivity. And they recall what it was like to be in captivity. And how the Lord had delivered them from, the real, from, from captivity, but it recognizes the reality of adversity. Look, if you would, in verse 2, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, I don't want to mess anybody's preaching up. And Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6 is used as a soul-winning passage, and I'm, I'm fine with that, but I don't believe he's talking about soul-winning in verse 5 and 6. That's not what he's talking about. Turn again our captivity. They that sow in tears. He that goes forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. They remembered that they wept a lot in captivity because they that sow in tears, they cling to the promise that though we have sowed a life of tears, God can turn it around to a harvest of joy. They're recognizing trouble that they've been through. What do you do in trouble? What do you do? You trust the Lord is what you do. So number 127. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. As heirs are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now that's a familiar verse. It talks about a man building his house, but it is vain if the Lord's not helping you. Except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord watch the city. Except the Lord give you sleep. Yes, there's trouble in life. And yes, there's a lot of tears that we weep in our years. But the Lord is still active in our lives. And he's guiding and he's guarding and he's protecting. So you can see in 127, there's the recognition of the protection of the Lord. We need the Lord. And when you trust the Lord, Lord, I can't do anything without you. I trust you to build the house, to build the city to go to work, I, my life is in your hands. I'll tell you what it will do. It gives you confidence. It gives you triumph in your life. So number 128, blessed. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be. It should be well with thee. Thy wife should be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Doesn't that sound like the psalmist is at peace? By the way, when I read Psalm 128, it could be my life verse. If a man could have in his life everything that is promised in Psalm 128, he is a blessed man indeed. When you rely on the Lord, and number 127, 
The Lord rewards you with riches that can't be measured like you find in number 128. Are you beginning to see it? Are you beginning to see it? Trouble. Trust. Triumph. Trouble. Trust. Triumph. Look at number 129. I've got, I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. Number 129. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they've not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. Verse number five, let them all be confounded and turned back. Let them be as the grass upon the, do you see the trouble? And by now we're starting to get it. All right, I've got it. I got it. Trouble, trust, and triumph. Problem, protection, and peace. But you know, there are some lessons that we only have to learn once in life and we got it. Well, there's some lessons we have to learn over and over and over. The truth about it is, our faith is not steady. Sometimes it's strong and sometimes it's weak. Sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. Sometimes we're confident and sometimes we are doubtful because that's how we are. Every one of us. And so the Israelites, they, 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 it's over and it's over and over. So here's what you have in number 129. You have the hatred of people against Israel. That's what, it's, it's, it's trouble is what it is. Trouble. So what do you do when you have trouble? You trust the Lord is what you do. Number 130, out of the depths of I cried unto the old Lord, Lord, hear my voice. For thine, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. The psalmist is crying out from his trouble, beseeches the Lord to hear me. By the way, you get a sense of the trouble that he's in in verse 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark thine mine iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Well, there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. It's not an enemy from without. Well, the troubles are troubles that he's created for himself with his sin. Well, that's the thing that's troubling me now is my iniquity. So in verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. From the depths of his soul, he waits for the assurance from God that his iniquities have been forgiven. And he says, I wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. That's the night watchman. Been watching all night. And if you're working the third shift, the most welcome sight is the dawn, the breaking of the dawn, that the night is over and there is joy in the morning. I'm waiting to hear from God, like waiting for the dawn to the night watchman. So in verse 7, let Israel hope on the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. With him is plenteous redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquity. Wait on the Lord and when he comes, he's coming with mercy and he's coming with forgiveness. So the psalm ends in a very confident note. The Lord comes with forgiveness. So you have trouble, you have trust. Triumph, number 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty. Nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Here's what he says. And I, I almost would love to preach from number 131. He says, I don't exercise my heart in things that are above me. There are some things I just don't understand. Think about that. There are some things in life that are just beyond my understanding. 
But like a child that has been weaned off of his mother's breast and is learning to eat more solid food, the psalmist says, I am like that weaned child. A child doesn't have a care in the world. He is at peace letting mom and dad make all the decisions, care about all the bills and make all the provisions. And the psalmist says, I have fed on the promises of God. I have meditated on them and I trust them. And I am confident enough that I can go to sleep and the Lord will take care of whatever troubles me. Peace. Peace. Triumph in the midst of trouble. And I I want to tell you that I believe that that's the place that the Lord would have all of us get to. Peace in spite of the storm. And by the way, so far in all the progressions that I've ran through them fast, there's no word that the troubles are ever going to end. And we all have a different set of problems. Even children have troubles. It's just we have different, different, different things. The older man looks on the younger man and says, boy, I'm sure I don't, don't have to worry about what he's going to worry about. He's got to raise a family and raise kids. He's got to pay bills. He's got, boy, I'm glad I don't have that. But the younger man looks at the older man and says, well, I'm sure glad I don't have all the health problems he's got and all the health concerns and doctor's visits he's got. We all have hardships in life, every stage of life. And you you look at it, and it doesn't matter which stage of life that you're in. I I know a young preacher right now, he's called me several times and trying to help him. I I know a young preacher right now who is trying to to build a ministry, to, to rebuild a ministry, really. And he has so many concerns and so many worries and, and, and he's, he's, he's just stressing himself out. I, I, know, I know an older preacher who, who has built a ministry, Dr. Tab. He's built a ministry. He's turned it over to another man. And, and he's lived a full life and he's done a great work and left a legacy behind. He don't have to worry about that young preacher, what he's worried about. But his wife has some health concerns. He's got a new set of worries is what he has. And the thing about it is, is that life is going to follow you to the grave. But there can be peace in the midst of the storm. You see it? So you come to number 132. Here's the fifth time around. So in 132, what would you expect? You'd expect trouble. So 132 verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Now the trouble at number 132 is not as pronounced in the other Psalms. But it reminds us of the affliction of David. It looks back on the life of David. And I would tell you that it just looks back on three scenes. You have to look at it later. David's desire to build the house of the Lord. David's determination to bring the ark home. And probably referring to David's coronation as the king. So in this psalm, the psalmist is not talking about his own trouble. It doesn't say a song of degrees of David. It's somebody else writing it. And he's writing about the trouble on the broad scope of the life of David. This is probably Hezekiah writing this, all right? That's what most commentators say. We'll just have to worry about that, all right? If it is Hezekiah, then Hezekiah is reminding God of the promises that he made to David his father. And he's claiming those promises for himself. And if you think about all of the affliction, all of the hardships of David's life, he's chased down by Saul like a dog. His name is slandered. His own people hunted him. Numerous attempts on his life. And in verse 1, it reminds you there's affliction. There's affliction. Trouble. So what do you do when there is trouble? You trust the Lord. So number 133. 
He says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now we, we know this psalm well. We, we, we talk about the blessings of God when we dwell together in unity and we dwell together in fellowship when we are in Fellowship with one another. When there is one accord, there's harmony. Brethren, it's hard to go to church with people that you don't like, isn't it? It really is. You can go to church with people you don't like, but you're not going to like the church that you go with. you got to like the people that you go to church with. It gives us two illustrations. He talks about the oil that runs down Aaron's beard when he's anointed as high priest. He talks about the dew that descends on Mount Hermon. The, the blessing of the unity. And he says that God will command the blessing even life forevermore. And then we come to number 134. 134 ends it with triumph. Look at it. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all your servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. Now quickly, remember... The worshipers came to Jerusalem three times a year. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. A caravan of Israelites, far off village. They organize, they get together. We're going to travel together. We're going to leave at a time. And we're going to get to Jerusalem in time for the festivities and for the celebration and for the feast. And depending on how far away they are, the trip could last, really, it could last for days. These pilgrimages always included children. Although only the males were required to go, families would go. A lot of children would go. In fact, it was a rite of passage for a child, a male Jew. When he's 12 years old, he is now a son of the law. And at age 12, he's finally able to make that first pilgrimage with his family to sit in the temple. Do you remember Luke 2 when Jesus was 12 years old that they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast? You have throngs of people going to Jerusalem, throngs of people everywhere. It's estimated that upwards of 2 million Jews could be thronged in Jerusalem for these feasts. So you can imagine a caravan. They're traveling to Jerusalem. And along the way, they would sing these songs. We don't know if it was in order. We don't know if there was structure. We don't know if it was spontaneous. We don't know. But they come to Jerusalem for these sacrifices and celebrating the worship of Jehovah and then... It's time to return home. And I imagine a scene, and it is only imagination, a scene where a party has agreed to leave early on the day after the feast. We're going to meet on the temple grounds. That's a good meeting place. We're going to get there. We are leaving at daylight, headed out on the long trek home. Spurgeon, Spurgeon, and treasure the David. Here's how he imagines it, and it's only imagination. He believes that this setting of the pilgrims gathered at the temple to begin the journey home, that when they begin the journey home, that they would sing Psalm 134. They get together. The leader gets them organized. This is how we're going to travel. They start down the street, out of the temple, out toward the city. And as they move past the gates, they see the guards on the temple wall that have been watching all night. The day is just starting to break. They turn to say farewell, goodbye. The Levites who have been working all night in the temple, they join in the farewells as well. And Spurgeon imagines, verse 1, 2, and 3, as a back and 
forth. Well, the pilgrims would sing to the priests and the watchmen, and they would echo back to him. Just imagine it. Verse 1 and 2 is a doxology. Look at it. And just imagine the pilgrims. They're singing it to the workers in the house. Behold, bless you the Lord, all your servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So, so it is addressed to the night guard, the priest who ministered in the temple. The, priest by, the temple, by the way, was open day and night. All night, people are working and cleaning and serving in the temple. And by the way, that's actually important because in Hebrews chapter 9, it says that the earthly temple is patterned after the heavenly temple. The service in the earthly tabernacle mirrors the service in the heavenly tabernacle. And I'm going to tell you that the worship and the intercession around the throne of God doesn't stop at night. It's going on all around the clock. The fire on the brazen altars be burning all night. So there's a priest that's monitoring that fire and making sure that fire doesn't go out. So they're singing to those by the night stand in the house of the Lord. Do you see that? By the way, night work can be tedious work. Yes. Depending on what your job is, the night shift. Well, you need to be alert because it can be tedious. It can be monotonous. There can be dullness. There can be tiredness. And I imagine a night shift that becomes routine and it becomes full of monotony. But our worship should never be that way. Our worship should never be monotonous and it should never be routine. So they say to the night shift, bless you the Lord, all your servants of the Lord. We stand by night in the house of the Lord. Don't lose sight of what you're doing. Don't just go through the motions. Don't fall asleep on the job. No matter what your position or your service, do it as unto the Lord. So there is a call to worship to the night workers of the Lord. Then in verse 3, there is a benediction. And Spurgeon imagined it. As those that are watching, the Levites, the priests, the night watchmen, they're watching as the caravan leaves and they echo back. And this is a fitting farewell. It's an appropriate finale to the 15 Psalms. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. May the Lord prosper you on your journey. May the blessing that you received here go with you as you journey home. You came to Zion for worship and fellowship. Now what you found here and experienced here may it be with you many days hence. And again, understand there is speculation as to how it was sung. That's an imaginary scenario. Many commentaries believe that that's how number 134 would be sung. But as you read these psalms and you see this progression, repeated emphasis, trouble, trust, triumph, problem, protection, peace. And it ends with the worshipers at the temple blessing the Lord. And if this song is sung as they leave, they're singing all the way home. And can I tell you that that is the purpose, that is the life, that is the journey of the believer. Life is full of troubles and hardships. Even if the Lord gives us a good life. And I have a good life. I just prayed just a little bit ago right there in that chair. And I told the Lord. I said Lord I need help in some areas. But you've already given me so much help. You've already given me so much grace. I need some more. That's been my life. 
Young people, they talk, about, they talk about trials that older people don't worry about. And older people have concerns that younger people never think about. But, but as you walk with the Lord, as you, as you lean on the Lord, you, you, you learn to trust his protection and, and his care and his guidance and his peace. And when you can trust him, there is a calmness, there is a peace that comes over your soul. Whatever might fill your heart with fear, you ought to be able to surrender that to the Lord. You ought to be able to trust his wisdom. He's either going to deliver me, or he's going to use it to change me, or he's going to take me home. He knows best either way. And whatever choice, whatever option he chooses, I plan to sing and bless the Lord all the way home. I'm going to take the worship and the experience of the house of God, and I want to take it with me on my journey. I'm going to sing out there on Monday, just like I sing in here on Sunday. I'm going to worship the Lord out there on Tuesday, just like I worship the Lord here on Sunday. And I call upon you tonight. I call upon you tonight to take the troubles. We don't deny them, but take the troubles and give them to the Lord and trust him. Trust him. And bless the Lord and sing on your journey home.